Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Welcome back to B2B Growth. I'm Logan Lyles with Sweetfish Media. Today, I'm joined by Mike McDermott. He's the co-founder and CEO over at FreshBooks. Mike, welcome to the show. How's it going today, sir? Hey, Logan. Thank you. It's, uh, it is going in these COVID times. I'm, I'm going from uh, one chair in my home to another chair and, and not much further. Yeah. <laughs> Musical chairs. We got to do some things to keep the blood flowing, keep that kind of change of pace and scenery a little bit going. I've been talking to some of our customers that have, you know, brought in a, a sun lamp into their home office to get some get some vitamin D, get some exposure there, right? Uh, change things up a little bit. I was, uh, that is a very good idea. I was just looking, you look a lot less pale than I do. Uh, so <laughs> yes, I was, uh, I was thinking about vitamin D just moments ago. Okay, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Mike, our conversation today is going to be about seven ways that you almost killed FreshBooks or seven pitfalls that founders and CEOs want to avoid as they're, as they're scaling up. Before we get into that little bit of context for today's conversation, give us a little bit of background on yourself and what you and the FreshBooks team are up to these days. Yeah, so I'm a founding CEO of a, a you know sort of large and growing software platform. So my story is I started out as running a small agency using Word and Excel to bill my clients. I accidentally saved over an invoice, said there's got to be a better way, and started building a piece of software. That was over a decade ago. You know, Since we started, over 20 million people have used our software. We have paying customers in over 100 countries. And, and the way to think about what we are, it's just a, a ridiculously easy-to-use invoicing and accounting software. Um, so we, we don't really serve like restaurants and, and retail businesses. We serve really knowledge-based uh, businesses, a lot of creative professionals, lawyers, IT folks, marketers, uh, those kinds of, uh, of people. Yeah, and, and by virtue of focusing on on segments that have those you know similar kinds of needs across there, the product's really simple and easy to use. So um, we're number two in America for uh, small business accounting software. I guess that's the other notable item. I so that's that. that that's a bit of background. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as I head up sales for our agency here at Sweetfish, I I love the line that nothing happens until someone sells something. I've I've said that before in my sales career, but I was talking with our COO as we were kind of going through our our invoicing and collections and and all these sorts of things that are, you know, less fun for salespeople to think about. I was like, maybe I need to revise that previous statement. Nothing happens until someone pays something. So, good that that you guys are are doing great work to enable that on 
on the back end for a lot of different companies in a lot of different sectors. So let's jump in more to some of the pitfalls that that you want to help other founders and CEOs avoid in their own growth journey. I was checking out this article that you had written a, a while back. And the first one that you mentioned was thinking that we had to move faster than we did. Tell us a little bit about this and the lessons learned over the years. Well, I'm a big fan of contrarian, you know, sort of counsel and advice. And so you get lots of this, like, move fast and break things, blah, blah, blah. But what I found when we were getting started, and we we had some pretty lean years to get going. We spent three and a half years in my parents' basement kind of getting things going. And, you know, and if you're an entrepreneur at heart, sometimes you have a lot of ideas and there's a lot of different directions you might go in. And fear is kind of like a, a major, you know, sort of motivator, right? Like you're concerned about getting crushed or, or what have you. So the point is, I was always fearful we were moving too slowly. I, you know, I was always fearful the bad guys were going to get us or whatever it was. But to some extent, when you're that size, you are inherently going to be moving faster. And uh, if you run in every direction at the same time, it, it's it's not so good. And so... I think just being focused and disciplined and, and knowing where you're going and pushing there as fast as you reasonably can, but not so fast that you're becoming counterproductive, I think is the uh, is that that kind of balance. That's what I was trying to hint at. Yeah. And that reminds me of one of our quotes that, or a quote that we come back to as a team a lot as a fast scaling startup ourselves. And our founder and CEO is just an idea guy. James just has ideas coming out of his ears all the time. And and we come back to this quote from the four disciplines of execution. And I'm, I might not get it word for word, but it's, there will always be an excess of great ideas, then there is enough time to execute on them. And so you, you have to learn to be selective. And I like what you said, know that when you are smaller, you're going to be naturally moving pretty fast anyway. So don't let that fear kind of creep up on you. Now, you guys are all about the numbers being an accounting uh, software platform yourself. But one of the mistakes that you mentioned, uh, you wanted other founders to, to avoid that you kind of fell into a bit is placing too much faith in a spreadsheet. Tell us what you meant by that. Yeah. So, so first off, I am a big fan of, of spreadsheets and using them to forward plan your business. And, you know, the, the benefit is not having the spreadsheet. The benefit is the exercise and the scenario planning and the development of sort of assumptions and predictions on which you, you build your business. Okay. And so I'm a big fan of building a model on the revenue side and the cost side that looks, looks forward and just understanding how all that stuff works. And it can be very simple. And most people's businesses, it can just be very simple. We have really complex stuff now at FreshBooks, but, you know, at the get-go, it can be very, very simple. And so with that in mind, you know, the, the thing that's true, uh, and it's true like now we, we operate a company, it's, you know, I don't know, 400 people, places everywhere. Like as the fun fact uh, our CFO shared with me and kind of captures the same sentiment is the minute you ship a budget for the next year, it's out of date. It's stale, right? It's like your best guess at the time and you move on. And so, you know, I think the thing about a spreadsheet is it can very much be the same way. And so I think it's very important to do the exercise. But you may just find the assumptions you put in your models, whether they be revenue or expenses, were like maybe a very predictable expenses, but your revenues are hard to imagine. Like you may end up getting to the same number, but not the same way you thought you would. And so I think the exercise and the discipline, very important. Just just sort of don't, you know, don't believe it's going to be exactly how you thought it was. I love that, Mike. We have definitely seen that in the last two years I've been here on the Sweetfish team where we've gotten to the number, but the components there shifted 
greatly. We were we were off in in the details, but we ended up getting to the same place. So I can definitely attest to that from personal experience. Awesome. So number three that you had here was thinking we had to spend more than we did. And I really relate to this because at Sweetfish, we're a five-year-old company now. And really the way I describe it is we did a lot on the brand side. I mean, we're almost into 1,300 episodes in this podcast and it has just been straight brand awareness. And for the last two years, I've kind of been owning sales and we really haven't had that middle gap of sophisticated demand gen for ourselves. And so, but yet we've built a, a business that is on track to hit the Inc. 5000 this year, possibly the Inc. 500, if we get to where we're planning. So budgets being out of date is on my mm-hmm. mind as well. And so I just look at that and I'm like, well, we've done a lot without a complete kind of sales and marketing uh, typical function and funnel. So tell us a little bit about maybe what is similar or, or different or kind of similar but different uh, in your own story there? Yeah, a couple things. I think, you know, first of all, you know, most businesses have one or two channels where they end up, you know, generating most of their business, right? And so, you know, when you build the plan, you you say, well, we're going to use seven channels and what have you. And that's, you know, probably not the way to do it. And the costs obviously expand considerably, you know, better to probably pick, you know, one or two when you're getting going, scale them up and then and then work on others. I think the other thing is there is a, when you sit with the spreadsheet, there's just a false comfort that comes with spending money that, that is, you know, like the more I spend, the more confident I am when in reality, it's probably like the more dollars you spend, the less confident you should be in every incremental dollar. And I think that's really the heart of this thing is, you know, Hey, if you know how spending a hundred thousand dollars went last year and you're going to spend $150,000, now, you're probably doing pretty good, but if you jump that up to five hundred thousand dollars, you know it's probably not going to go like you think. You know, is thing one, and and so you probably you probably get marginally less effective on all those incremental dollars, and so you can probably get you know sort of superior results by you know kind of staying a little leaner and closer to what you know and kind of building on it incrementally. And so, anyways, I think some of those things in and around there are, are what that's trying to sort of get at. Yeah, that's a really great thing to keep in mind that, you know, when we make those big jumps in in the spend, whether that's marketing, sales, whatever it is that's going into the growth of the business, take a little bit smaller steps and you're going to be more efficient with those with those dollars. I mean, it's kind of like on the personal finance side, you're amazed with what you can do when you're on a tighter budget and you really get scrappy. And then when, you know, those times of a feast rather than famine, it's like, wait, hold on a second. Where did all that go, right? Same sort of thing on the business side. Number four, on your list of, of pitfalls to avoid to not kill your business while you're in the midst of growing is placing too much faith in consultants. Talk about your own experience there, maybe without you know naming names or throwing anyone under the bus, yeah. but just the general lessons learned, right? I think for me, like I'd never worked anywhere else when we started this thing out. And um, so I, you know, I hadn't gone and worked in a company. I didn't know how that worked. And then, uh, you know, you meet some smart people who maybe worked at like McKinsey or something like this, and you're getting some counsel for them. Or maybe it's an advisor who, you know, comes from a different industry and doesn't know yours and what have you. I was just, I was desperate for, you know, knowing what to do. And uh, I didn't know. And I kind of knew that I didn't know. And I felt at times I would start to be like, oh, like, I'm really going to put my faith in what this other person says, because clearly they're business smarter than me. And, you know, they're talking about frameworks and leverage and, you know, whatever. I almost, uh, it's almost back to the Buffett thing. It's like, you know, invest in what you understand. But, but I basically like, they seemed like this source of confidence and, and knowledge. And I knew I didn't have that because uh, I was just trying to figure everything out at once. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, most of the time I, 
I backed away from taking their advice and I kind of went with whatever I, you know, I thought I should do, but, but it was a very, like, it was a very attractive prospect to just trust what they knew. But at the end of the day, mostly, you know, your customer, yeah, you know, your market, you know, your product, and you're better off seeking your own counsel. So I like to be a big fan of like collecting input but seeking my own counsel. And so I'll ask lots of folks and they'll be like, oh, you didn't do what I said or you didn't agree with me or you still did the same thing. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I got your input and it, it didn't change any of my assumptions. I mean, I'm a little deeper in understanding why I like them, but they didn't change them. Other times I'm going yeah. to change my mind, mind completely and uh, reserve the right to do that. But yeah, I think you need to seek your own counsel at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that is recognizing your own personality style. You know, one of the things on our team we've looked at as a leadership team and throughout our team at Sweetfish is the Enneagram personality types. Other folks are, you know, very into Myers-Briggs or whatever, but it, no matter what kind of system or profile that that you tend to look at, there are certain personality types that are like, okay, when I, when I hear this advice, okay, that's gospel. I hear this, that's gospel. But, you know, if you are an ambitious founder and you have ideas and you've been and digging into the problem, then your gut is probably telling you, you know, take that advice, but take it with a grain of salt. And at times it may just completely push you back to the way that you're thinking anyway. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's still good that came from that input, right? Yeah. I'll just go ahead and say, I will take the gut of somebody who's been mucking about in the problem over the, you know, sort of intelligence and business acumen of the professional any day. I love that, Mike. So well said. So the other thing on your list was underestimating word of mouth in the early days. And that's something that you guys have kind of uh, changed your approach, or at least your thinking around these days. Tell us about that switch that happened for you. Well, you know, I, I think, to be honest, I think we caught this flame pretty quickly. And it's why we're in business today and been as successful as we were. You know, we spent a lot of time on word of mouth. Um, so yes, we paid for advertising and, you know, we still do and, you know, and, but, 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 but we would also, when we went to a conference where our customers were, we spent a lot of time around like, Hey, how do we, how do we get everybody thinking or talking about us when they leave? Right. And what are the knock on effects of that? And so, you know, what I would say is, Hey, you know, every business probably ought to start instead of going mass to go very niche or very segmented in their approach. And then as soon as you go and do that and make that niche like almost as small as you possibly can, if you go do a good job and you build real relationships with people and you do interesting things that compel people to talk about you because you're relevant and interesting to them and their small community, that will lead to a lot of things. You know, sometimes it leads to media. People want to write about you. Sometimes it leads to, you know, random blog posts, which is pretty much the same thing. So sort of earned media. And so there's the word of mouth of getting to them and having the real relationships. And then there's the knock-on effects from doing that. And, you know, well, I've got a whole analogy for it, but I'll spare you and your audience. Uh, I think you get the idea. I love it. I, I love your emphasis on relationships. You know, our founder's recent book, Content-Based Networking, is all about, you know, how it, nothing good happens in life or business without relationships. You can map it either with a direct line or maybe a little bit of a squiggly line, but those relationships. And the other thing that, that you mentioned was going niche early. I mean, we interact with so many marketing agencies that are partners of ours and, and that sort of stuff. And we've seen those that really find their niche and go all in there, they might expand or that might shift. But those that try to be everything to all people just inevitably struggle. And that, that kind of leads us to uh, point number six that you mentioned that in the early days, you kind of had this 
this fear that you couldn't get far enough or you couldn't get far enough fast enough without doing X, either taking that investment money or signing that deal or, or signing up that partner. But what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, getting that thing, even though if that thing seems like the right thing, if there are things about it where you're kind of shoving a square peg into a round hole, it could actually take you backwards more than accelerate you those three steps. So saying no can actually help you move forward, right? I do not disagree. All right, Mike, number seven on your list was about doubting yourselves too much. And I think that, you know, we've kind of encountered this before in our own journey, thinking about, okay, we've we've assembled teams and processes for producing podcasts and growing audiences, but it's not necessarily rocket science. I mean, there, there are things that other people have figured out and expertise that other people have, but we've had to stop and say, well, look how long it took us to kind of hone hone this process and whittle these things down and really get it humming. Did you guys kind of have that same sort of evolution, kind of realizing your own expertise and removing some of that doubt of the expertise that you guys were gaining in the product you were developing and the customers that you were solving and the problems that, that you were helping them tackle? Yeah, I think there's this, if you're really in a startup, you know, and it's sort of not well-funded in a new area and you're like pioneering and all this stuff, there's just this overwhelming uncertainty on like every vector. Like, are we going to make it? You know, how fast should we go? Will that deal close? Like, I mean, it's just, there's so many variables, you know, and I think what comes out of that is, you know, especially if you haven't kind of done it before, can be, and I, I was making all this stuff up, doing everything from first principles for the first time. Like, that's a lot. And so it was just like, you know, kind of overwhelming, overwhelming feel and uncertainty and doubt. And so, yes, over time, it seemed like, oh, actually, we were kind of early and we were like years early, which ended up proving to be very helpful. So once we kind of caught our breath and realized that we had more confidence, we keep going, which are the kinds of things you're hinting at. And yeah. So I think I think that the emotion of it all can get you to a very irrational place. And I think it's important to have people who are either outside of your outfit or whatever it is. To, to kind of recalibrate yourself to, you know, what's what. And so, I, you know, for me, it was a lot of advisors and things like that I needed. But because I, I was just running out of fear for, for you know, in, in, to, to boil it down for so long. And it kept me sharp and paranoid. And, you know, I learned a lot and explored a lot of uh, ideas. But it was, you know, I think at the same time, I probably could have smelled a few more roses. You know, probably could have made a few moves that were less counterproductive and reactionary. And, uh, you know, all of that would probably help, you know, sort of us ultimately get there faster. I love it. Just to wrap things up for folks, you know, we talked about seven pitfalls to avoid while you are scaling up your company. You know, don't think that you have to move faster all the time. Uh, Don't place too much faith in a spreadsheet. You've still got to know what's going on within the business. Take that process. I like the what you said there, the exercise of putting that budget together, of putting those models together. It is as important as what the data actually says. As, as we see with things going on, models change. Things change very quickly at times in life and especially in scaling a startup. Don't always think you need to spend more than you do. Think about incremental increases so that you're more efficient with that budget. Avoid the trap of placing too much faith in consultants. 
And then the last three were don't underestimate word of mouth. Uh, Don't always believe that that next thing that seems like the right move is definitely the one. And then just don't forget to, uh, to look at where are you running out of fear or doubt and recognize that for what it is and kind of pivot from there. Mike, anything else that you want to share with listeners today on this topic of, uh, you know, the pitfalls to avoid as, as you're scaling up and the lessons that you've learned along the way as you guys have been on a great trajectory at FreshBooks? I guess what I would say is that the thing that's not on the list, because it's it's not one of the ways we almost killed it, just don't give up. I love it. I love it, Mike. Well, for listeners, if you've really enjoyed this episode, another one that was uh, a very similar conversation, episode 923, three leadership lessons from bootstrapping to 150 million with Thomas Gorney over at Nextiva uh, is definitely one that you want to check out. Check that out in the show notes. Speaking of next steps, Mike, if anybody listening to this would like to reach out to you, ask any questions or uh, stay connected with you and the FreshBooks team, what's the best way for them to take next steps there? Yeah, a couple thoughts. One is if you want to get me at Mike McDermott on Twitter, uh, by all means, check out FreshBooks. And if you're looking for something uh, to bill your clients and manage your books, uh, free trials can be had at freshbooks.com. And, um, you know, I I think with that, you know, we're off to a pretty good start. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you for being a fantastic guest on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Logan. I hate it when podcasts incessantly ask their listeners for reviews, but I get why they do it because reviews are enormously helpful when you're trying to grow a podcast audience. So here's what we decided to do. If you leave a review for B2B growth and Apple podcasts and email me a screenshot of the review to james at sweetfishmedia.com, I'll send you a signed copy of my new book, Content-Based Networking, How to Instantly Connect with Anyone You Want to Know. We get a review, you get a free book. We both win. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.